Hello, and welcome to Masters of Divinity. I am <laughs> Father Chuck. Um, with me today is Officer Matt. Hi. Um, JP is not with us because he is a slacker. Um, mm -hmm. And he's going to love that, that I said that he's, as he's editing this episode. He's a pothead. He's a pothead. So I realized, Matt, while listening to, to a couple of previous episodes, I realized we've made a couple of references to JP's farming practices, and we've not really like done much with it, other than mm -hmm. I realize our listeners could very well assume that the moderator of this show is operating some kind of illegal operation. Um, it's okay. They should assume that. They should assume that. <laughs> no, JP, JP is a... Um, is is has been granted a license to grow medical marijuana and um that is the new endeavor that he and his family are undertaking and that's actually the reason why he's not with us today because they finally got their plants in and so they have to do a lot of work of planting and preparing uh them and it's i know a very big deal for their family because they have a farm in oklahoma and i, I think they they dealt with some crop loss, right? Isn't that part of an issue they had after some hailstorms and stuff that's, not too long ago? That's my understanding, yes. And so they um, they decided to invest in this because it's a bit more sustainable. Um, and it's also obviously a, 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 a growing market. Um, and uh, I think it's kind of cool that they're that they're doing this um, to grow to grow this, you know, very medicinally important crop and so i salute the post family on their work and and, and wish them well and um, it means that jp will probably be an inconsistent uh voice on this podcast because he's now in like the, the growing season yes and if there's one thing i can't stand it's inconsistency because <laughs> i never miss you never I believe if you're committed you should be here every episode you know by the way i'm i'm matt for those of you who have no idea who i am because i'm never on the podcast <laughs> um you go back to the beginning i was there every time but um yeah well that's okay so that's, so that's, it's that's funny as we're as we're talking about him um, we get, I, I'm putting on the camera here, a, 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 he sent us a message on our Facebook messenger group, um, with mocking text tone that says, we should subject JP to country music. And it's him listening to a George Jones greatest hits CD, 16 biggest hits, George Jones on a legitimate CD player, which is made by who? Black Web. Okay. I'm so, assuming he he did not have anything to do with choosing that album. Yeah, it might be uh, family. I don't know, but that leads to a discussion that that's a reference to discussion that we've had, Matt, and that is to subject Mr. Post to country music, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I. I wholeheartedly support this idea. As somebody who's not that huge, not that big of a fan of country music, I still, I still want to. I think it would be fun to do to him what you guys did to me, regarding Insync. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, and modern country music to be specific. See, I'm. I think we should subject, subject him to all of it. 
all of it. Well, you pick the old stuff, I'll pick the new. Yeah, like it sounds sounds like a line from a country. Song. It does. But yeah. um but yeah, no, but but the the modern stuff he's never even heard. So like I randomly one night started sending you two stuff on our messenger just because I'm in a country phase right now it happens. Especially when I just visited North Florida, my family's property. We always get hooked on country when we're up there. Makes sense. Um, because for those of you who don't know, Florida is the only place that the further north you go, the further south you actually wind up getting. Um, so if you want to know what the south is like, it's North Florida. Because South Florida is a very confused area. Um, <laughs> we don't know what we are. We want to be like a New York or something like that. But we don't at the same time. Um, so anyway start randomly sending you guys music on that and jp's like this doesn't even sound like country music and i was like that's because you don't know what it's become it's not not the same as what it used to be it's um, true and um it in a lot of it anymore and, th- and i'll say this is the thing about, about it that kind of uh bugs me is that it seems like they like the, a lot of the musicians especially that nashville look they want to like look like rock stars Mm-hmm. And I, my feeling is, be country. Why, why try to be something that you're not? Embrace it. You know, mm-hmm. I want, I, you know, and like, I mean, unless, unless, and I'm not giving them credit for this because it's all on purpose. But unless the truth was that's who they were, and the country look is not what they want to be a part of. Like, you know, I mean, maybe they just don't like the giant hats and giant boots and. Yeah, I mean the thing about country music is the real power, the really the real beautiful thing about it is that it's it's primarily a genre that tells a story. We don't have mm-hmm. as many, you know, pop music doesn't really tell a story that often, um, and even rock music doesn't, you know, unless it's like unless it's like Springsteen or something, just doesn't necessarily tell a story. Um, country music tells a story, like that's a that's an integral part of of the genre, and. Um, that's kind of where, where, you know, every time I go into Cracker Barrel, you know, you hear newer country <laughs> playing and I get really annoyed with a lot of the newer country because it just sort of sounds like, well, like, you know, that people have criticized that little Nas X song. Um, the one that he did with um, Billy Ray Cyrus. Well, Billy Ray Cyrus did like a remake of it, but it's um, or like a remix. But it's that, you know, what I'm talking about Old Country Road. Or Old Town Road, Old Town Road. No, it's like the no, rap country. On, it's the no, rap I'm country on song. My phone. I'm on my phone, so I don't have the ability to okay. pretend I know what I'm talking about because I'm looking stuff up when people don't know it. Gotcha. Um, so people are gonna find out how dumb I really am on this episode because nice. I know nothing when I can't you, look it up. You so. also, you also kind of look like Iceman with your glasses on. Iceman from from Top Gun. Oh, okay. No, that's on. cool. I take it. I take it. <laughs> um, it's cool. The uh, but no, no, so Lil Nas X has been criticized for this song because it's like a rap, it's a rap country song, and it's like the first you know, and it was put on which the country is, charts, and it's a very interesting thing, been, been yeah, an interesting which, discussion. But people have criticized the song because it just sounds like a list of country tropes. <laughs> but I realize a lot of modern country music that's what it is, isn't that yeah, because every time I go to Cracker Barrel, it's you know, I hear if I hear one more song about slamming screen doors and you know you know cold beers in the back of a truck and references yeah, to i don't know I tractors don't know. and stuff like i'm just kind no. of <laughs> i don't think i don't think you can have too many songs about cold beers i think they're fun <laughs> <laughs> that's like actually one of my one of my favorite ones right now you can't help but sing along to it it's called beer never let me down 
and it's the basic line is I can count on one hand all the things I can count on, but I got that one hand gripping on a cold one. Oh my gosh! That, see that? That's <laughs> oh, that's cringy to me. I love it. Love uh, it. So much fun. So much fun. But um, but yeah, no, I I think and and uh, yeah, and not to be overly like country music is country music. I love it, but I go through phases. Right. Sometimes I can't stand it, and I am never the kind of person who's going to. Although, for the sake of the episode, we're going to make JP listen to I Will. But I'm never the kind of person who's going to try to get you to like it. Because I very much understand. If you hate country music, you're probably never going to like country music. Right. Um, but what I love about it is... And there's ac- there's actually a cheesy country song written about it. And now they have a new one that kind of ripped that one off. Same idea. But there's actually a song about how... The, the, the guy's singing how like why he likes country music is because they're just songs about you and me. And the bottom line is, like you said, country is storytelling for the most part. Some of the fun hit songs don't really follow a story necessarily, but the real songs and the ones that tend to go on and become big and stay around longer, they're stories. They have a beginning and a middle and end. During the course of the song, you're following some kind of idea, and it's usually something that in some way, shape, or form you can relate to. Because whether you've been through that story exactly or not, you understand what they're talking about. So, for example, you hear a song about somebody who cheated and how the person can't stand them and um, wants to, let's go with the Carrie Underwood one. I want to, you know, bash out the taillights and ruin the leather seats and all that kind of stuff. Everybody understands what that's like. Yeah, Beyonce did that with Lemonade. But they do it with, but much like pop music, at its core, because I there's obvious songs that don't follow this, but at its core, much like pop music used to be, country is the one that tells the story, tells about the heartbreak, tells about the anger, tells about the frustration, but does it in a way where you feel uplifted and having fun listening to it. So, like, you want to go to a party and scream the lyrics with your friends jumping up and down singing about how this guy destroyed your life and left you for somebody else or how um this this girl went off with another guy and left you by your but like you want to jump up and down have fun singing these songs that are about these concepts that you're like yeah i lived through that that hurt that sucked and then the song makes it fun too right well, it's kind of like be a part of it. Kind of like Dixie Chicks' "Goodbye Earl," which is really kind of an irritating song to me because I really don't like that like that lilt at the end of a "Goodbye Earl." But mm-hmm. the idea that you know, I mean, it's obviously a song about like it's like it's, it's about murdering an ex boyfriend, right? I mean, it's it, it it's a very dark song, but it's played very fun. And there's and there's a lot of those in country. Yeah. There's a there's the one I'm forgetting who it is in the lyrics, but she sings about sitting by sitting at the front door like waiting for him to open the door because she's got the shotgun loaded um like it's there's so many and there's and there's part of country music that i'm surprised is able to still be so widely accepted and embraced in today's culture um songs about you know like murdering the cheat cheating loved one or um songs about the the man who just wants to protect the woman or songs about alcoholism and why yay that's fun watch us flush our life down the toilet like there's certain tropes to the country music songs that i'm like i'm kind of i'm surprised that these are still able to exist right and like in, in my experience the people who criticize 
you know, like who were really quick to criticize like Marilyn Manson or other heavy metal bands after like acts of violence. Like they're, they're the people who also listen to country music a lot of times and thinking like, mm-hmm. do you pay attention to your own genre? Cause this stuff. Yeah. Well, and that, and that kind of makes, it kind of makes me think too about a, a conversation that I once had because there's stuff you just don't pay attention to because part of it is the musical sound, right? Like if you put it to like a double kick drum, like if you were to put the lyrics of a lot of country songs or some country songs to a double kick drum and a lot of heavy bass, you'd be like, oh, that's a metal song, right? Like that's that there's like a rock element to that. But no, but like um, I, 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 I had this, I knew this guy was a drummer, he was a rock drummer, and I went and jammed with him one night and I'm at his, at his band's practice space. And he was new to Christianity. And I may have shared the story on the podcast before for longtime listeners. But he was relatively new to being a Christian. And we were talking. And he said, dude, he's like, some of these hymns you guys sing are brutal. He's like, they are like some of the, the lyrics are like more, more heavy metal than some heavy metal songs. I'm like, what are you talking mm-hmm. about? And he's like, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And when sinners plunge beneath that flood, they're cleansed from their, from all their stains or, you know, like this idea of like bathing in a fountain of blood. Like that's easy. That is metal. And from that point forward, I never was able to listen to like sing some of those old hymns the same way. It was like, wow, he's right. Like this stuff is pretty, like if I like had the lyrics of this hymn airbrushed on the, on an album cover, like metalheads would like be flocking to this, right? And it kind of makes sense too why some of that Christian metal even existed because they're able to draw from that classical hymnody uh, imagery, which is just. But it's but but again, you just uh, you know you grow up with it. You know you're gladly singing you know these these sorts yeah. of songs in church, and you're never thinking about the fact that there is you know. But if they had again put it put it underneath you know a a downtune well, seven string guitar, it would have been it would yeah, have been a metal we, song. I was just having that same random thought and um, I made that statement to my wife the other day because the music was playing at her house when she stopped by between her two jobs she's working. Um, she stopped by the house and the music's going and I was talking to her and I said, you know, because all of a sudden I heard what was actually being sung and it's like this fun song that I like to sing along with. But I was like, you know, any other style of music couldn't even get away with this concept um and but because it's country music and the way that they say it with the music behind it people just accept it as super fun and jump up and down and there's nothing wrong about the song i'm talking about but the song is called knocking boots (laughs) and the whole concept to the song obviously the chorus is that um well, the line is, birds need bees and ice needs whiskey. Guys like me need girls like you to kiss me. Um, I forgot the something needs something and boots need knocking, knocking boots. And I'm like, this is a song about sleeping together. Yep. And if any other song talked about, if the whole chorus to the song was, I need sex people would like freak out and this would be the song would not be okay i mean it would be accepted probably be a huge hit but you know what i mean it wouldn't be widely accepted and parents wouldn't be playing it in their car with their kids singing in the back right like i am laughing that i can hear bond in the back seat going knocking boots when when the chorus came on i laughed so hard um but my point is you put it to country music and all of a sudden it's okay it's fine yay but I'm like, but it's the same thing you get mad about about every other song. Yeah, you make that same sentiment radio. into a rap song, and suddenly uh-huh, white uh-huh. people lose their minds. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then uh, the, like one of one major song right now is um, the Get Up. If you haven't heard that one, mm-hmm. it's just like a it's like a dance song, country dance song, like all about that needs a line dance to go with it, so people can get together and jump. But that's like one of the big ones right now. <laughs> um, and from what I understand, that's becoming big, big. It's kind of one of those crossover. Oh yeah! Like I think I think it was the Teen Choice Awards or something. Oh, whatever so just it'll, happened recently. So it'll probably like show up at a wedding reception. Yeah, whatever just happened recently. One of the award shows, it won something there. I think they just had the so. VMAs. Hmm, maybe you maybe know. Maybe I, that, speaking of that, I'm at the age now, Matt, where uh, I've realized like that I'm that I have morphed into into full dad mode, which is where if I see anything from the video music awards, I have no idea who anyone is on the screen. Mm-hmm. No musicians, no hosts, nothing. I know nothing. Like clearly entire careers have like fallen, like risen and fallen in the past several years. And I have no idea about any of it. <laughs> um, and that's kind yeah, of we're a, old man. Yeah. But at the same time, I also kind of hate MTV because it stopped being MTV right yeah like, it's not music television anymore speak- i always said that they they should have they should have honestly and i don't mean this as a knock i just mean it as a truth they should have just rebranded themselves as reality television right because that they're kind of the ones that pioneered and started the reality tv craze one of the ones anyway um with their like road rules and what's the other one um, real world, <clears throat> real world, yeah, real world. They they kind of like pioneered it. They yeah. weren't necessarily the first or anything, but they're kind of what launched it. And they, if you want to say it, they were like the um, Blair Witch Project was with the found footage movies. It wasn't the first to exist, but it was the one that launched it into right. a cultural phenomenon. Well, they um, had... MTV was like that. Yeah, they, and... I mean, people had done it. People had done it before, but in like very shorter formats. It was yeah, like, you know, yeah. five episodes they, or something. So they should have just embraced that and ran with it because reality TV is what we've come to know it as. And they could have branded their whole thing as reality TV. And they could have been reality TV instead of MTV when you have nothing to do with music. Let's 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 take this to a place. Let's maybe we, we by the way uh, listeners, we have absolutely no um, theme for today. Did you notice? Um, topic. And um, <laughs> but you know this this let's 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 actually kind of let's make this a topic because uh, because I I'm I you know we're we're hitting a phase of sort of 90s nostalgia. And we talk about nostalgia a lot on this show. Um I you know to the extent that last night I watched Netflix brought back for one 45 minute episode, Rocco's modern life, which <laughs> if you ever watched Rocco's modern life, it was a Nickelodeon cartoon, a Nicktoon um, that had some very subversive um, humor and lots of jokes and went way over kids heads. Um, and it was interesting watching it again because it deals with the idea of, of Rocco and his entourage. They have been, lost in space for 20 years and then they return and they realize they're no longer in the nineties. And there's this whole like playing really fast playing catch up and some good jokes, making fun of making fun of, you know, contemporary, you know, 21st century stuff. And, um, but I, uh, but it gets me thinking a little bit about, you know, the nineties and, you know, talking about real world, 
makes me realize, you know, there was that period of time from like 92 to 94 where I felt that that's when we, when we, when we, I mean, I don't know about for a lot of people, for me, when I think of the nineties, that's when, that's what I think of is that time frame, And that's that time frame where there was this real, things were kind of dark because I think we were, weren't we in a recession at that time? And there were, you know, gen, but Gen X was starting to come of age. And there was this real sense of collaboration, right? Like this idea that if we could just talk to each other, all the world's problems would be solved. You know, so the the internet is being developed at this time. You know, coffee shops are becoming a thing as a place for people to socialize. The whole notion of tolerance begins to pop up um, as like a as a virtue, um, a cultural virtue. And then a show like The Real World comes along, and it's like a total distillation of this, right? Of let's get people from all across. Let's get some, you know, let's get some super conservative Southern guy and like a flamboyantly gay dude. And let's put all and people from everything in between and put them all in a house together and just sort of see what happens with this idea that it would create, it would help foster mutual tolerance and, and, and broadening horizons, which for MTV really like became a thesis statement for what they are, right? Because their whole idea was they wanted to shape the minds of a generation. And so they created with like, you know, obviously with music videos, but even when they started doing the real world, they really created this particular kind of youth subculture that really had a very different mindset from their parents and were, you know, you know, and I feel like it, you know, it, it sort of, you know, began to capture the malaise of the suburbs and sort of the, the boringness of a lot of isolated communities. And so the idea of interacting and collaborating with people who are different became something that was just really like, what a cool concept. And then within like three or four seasons, the real world becomes not that it becomes a show about people seeing how they can be narcissistic and 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 sort of become caricatures for the sake of getting attention and ratings and it loses this idea of being a forum for bringing you know weird out of the ordinary because what was it like the second first or second real world episode uh, or season had a guy who was like had hiv and they were like Take they're like going to the clinic with him and showing his whole life of like of dealing with managing this disease. I, I mean, stuff that most people in like middle America had never even thought about dealing with, and now it was suddenly in their living rooms. I mean, what just a crazy thing they were doing. And then, you know, it goes into all their place. And that sort of echoes what's happened with the internet. We've kind of learned that, oh, the idea of just breaking down the barriers and talking to each other doesn't really do much. It just gives platforms to more ignorance rather than breaking down that. I don't know, just what I just throw that out there for something to talk about. What I mean, you I'm sure you have thoughts on this idea. Yeah, but what what is your concise idea? Oh, sorry, <laughs> you were, you were driving as I was trying to talk I'm about like, it. No, no, I heard I heard about how it started and the concept that they started it as something to bring everybody together, but it turned into a division, if you yeah, will. I, I guess I guess um, the deal is there's a there's a there's a Portlandia episode that mm-hmm. has this song. I think the first episode of Portlandia has a song called The Dream of the 90s is Alive in Portland. And there's this joke that Portland is sort of frozen in that in that that particular 90s idea of just like, be weird, let your freak flag fly, but do so in a way in front of other people and just sort of tolerate one another and that society will somehow be better. And there's probably some truth to that. It's obviously a joke for the song, but there's probably some truth to that about Portland. 
So, but the point I guess I'm trying to make is, is, you know, was the dream of the nineties a pipe dream? Was it never something that could sustain or is it just something that we lost? And so the dream of having more unity because of more individuality, not necessarily more individuality, but more, but more opportunities to interact with people who were different. Right. Because to, well, no, to me, the 90s is to me, the 90s is all defined, especially the early 90s, defined by this idea of 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 fostering, not, I don't want to say collaborative space, but fostering space to where you have, you know, you yeah, have and, the you have the radical feminist at the same table with, you know, the, the, right. with the gay rights activists, um, and, and, the and then you have the, and you have the hillbilly and then you, you know, you have all of these different people and they're not like in their cliques, they're, they're interacting with each other while still kind of maintaining their identity, but yeah. kind of coming no, to this I, place of mutual understanding like that, that was the hope. And they really thought the internet would foster <clears throat> that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, internet fostering, that's good. Um, but yeah, no, but I really do I do I really do feel like the concept to the nineties, if you put it into a nutshell, which then I'll exp- talk more based on what you're saying, but the concept of the nineties was uni- unity through individuality. I think that's and it fair. was and it was the idea that the more true to yourself you could be, the more you could express yourself as just you and not worried what other people think. The more I can be me and accept that, then the more I can accept somebody else doing the same thing, and that'll bring unity, that we can all sit at the same table, 100% be ourselves, but yay, the world's happy, and we all get together. The problem with that, even in the 90s, is that is never how it worked. Right. For example, let's take just a group and use it as an example. Um, a group that was kind of known as being the most extreme form of, hey, man, I'm going to be me and you're going to deal with it would have probably been the goths. Mm-hmm. I'm going to dress how I want to dress. I'm going to pierce what I want to pierce. I'm going to wear whatever makeup I want to wear. I'm going to spike my hair. I'm going to grow my hair out. I'm going to dye it jet black. I'll do whatever I want and you just have to deal with it. Um, I'm not going to bother you. You don't bother me. But how quickly did that become a click? become a giant massive group mm-hmm, of people mm-hmm. that were all doing the same haircuts the same piercings the same style so that they could all be more individual um so the problem is it never works that way you never have true expression of individuality what you always wind up getting is everybody trying to be the other person's individual instead of instead of embracing their own they go the new trendy way like you have the the real trendsetters mm-hmm. quote unquote of the 90s were the ones that did just go hey i'm me whatever and then quickly there's a group of people that even have a name for themselves based around the person who went hey i'm just me whatever um and that to me is like the trend of the 90s is um, these trends that pop up because one person legitimately attempted to go, I'm going to do it my way. And everybody else went, that's a good idea. I'm going to do it my way too. I'm just going to do my way his way. And it kind of became that. And they just formed new cliques instead of breaking down the walls that they said they wanted to break down. We were creating more walls that later would be 
whole new reasons for division that we didn't even know could be there. Like, yeah, I think what I th- and I think what was what was not acknowledged about this kind of idea, and even today we're still we're just now kind of getting is that is that people when like okay so like let's make a parallel the mall right the mall was huge in the 90s right i mean you know it was it was um as teenagers that's where we hung out and for me like i love malls i've always loved malls i love you know i've been around retail stuff my whole life and i love shopping malls growing up where i grew up um, it was, you know, if I went to the nice mall, it was like an opportunity to sort of be exposed to a culture that wasn't mine. Um, and, you know, I can remember, though, going to different malls and you got to see people that were just outside of your social circle. Right. Like I can mm-hmm. remember hanging out at the electronics boutique at the West Oaks Mall with my friend Josh and with Keelan. Um, and, you know, we would while talking, we would see like the ravers walk by. You see a group of goths walk by or you'd see a bunch of, you know, like gang members or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And. Remember, like, as we, but what would happen is, is we would see these people, we'd interact, you know, we, we would be in the same space as these people, but I would, you know, but you wouldn't necessarily cross the threshold. What you would no, do is you would find your like-minded person and talk about those yeah, people. It, and, and so what it did is it created, I feel like it, it kind of, it, yeah, you got exposed to it, you became aware of more things, but I don't know that just becoming aware of it obviously just becoming aware of something doesn't make you more tolerant and accepting of it. I think what ends up happening is people then retreat to their comfort zones so that they can talk and process the thing they're seeing from this other group of people and Mm -hmm. sometimes feel judgmental and superior about it. And we're seeing that with the internet because people are finding, you know, they're, you know, we use the language of safe spaces and stuff to where they can go and basically reinforce their own worldviews and then make fun of the people that are different from them and never really be challenged. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the mall, the mall's a good, a good kind of picture to use. Um, for sure. First of all, it's just like the temple to consumerism, (laughs) but, um, but it's like very much, you know, like you're saying in the nineties, it was a big thing to go to the mall and like, because it was bringing everybody together, anything you want, you can, you know, basically get or find at the mall, or you can just wander around with your friends. And like you said, people watch, interact with groups of people that are outside of who, um, who you normally are. I'm wondering why this guy is randomly taking pictures of a stop sign. But, um, anyways, but uh, you're seeing somebody, you're seeing somebody do their individual thing. And now you're in the safe space with me. And now we're talking about that person rather than rolling down your window and be like, bro, what are you doing? Yeah. Well, because if you did, but that would come across quickly, as suspicious, and that would become yes, that would <laughs> violate his safe space of getting out of his car and taking photos of a stop sign. Um, but how quickly did the mall become a like micro or I mean, a, a macro version of the school cafeteria? Oh yeah, where the the cool kids shop at the. Um, you know, the what American Eagles and the um, Hollisters and the Abercrombie and Fitches and the the Goths go to Hot Topic and or Spencer. um, Spencer's Gifts and like it, it's very the, the, the nerds would wind up in the FY, FYEs and the um, 
I, for, I forget the ones that even existed because none of them are around anymore. Fye is all the, the the like music. I know like they Suncoast there's one video. There's one Fye still hanging on in the dying mall near us, which is sad because the mall that I probably grew up spending uh, probably most of the time, if not maybe there's another anyway. Both malls that I grew up spending all my time in are gone. Um, the, the the Palm Beach Mall has disappeared literally, and literally become gone. an outlet store. It. And the Boynton Mall has like three stores still open in yeah. it and is a Christ Fellowship. I now go to church there. Yeah. So, but yeah, they, they, they it's kind of interesting. The, the malls are, the, the high-end ones like you were talking about, it used to be a rare occasion that we'd go up to Palm Beach Gardens. Mm-hmm. And when you went to the Gardens Mall, it was like, oh, that's that's like the rich mall. And you'd walk around in the fancy mall with the two stories and the people that have bags that cost more than my car. And, right. Um, now that mall's starting to look a little, um, you know, eh. And the, the Wellington Green Mall opened and competed with it. And, like, now it's just, just whatever. Yeah, and Wellington has become sort of a typical suburban mall. We go there a yeah. lot because they, they have a nice indoor playground. I, um, um, well, it's like growing up in Orlando, my mall was West Oaks, which within within a decade, West Oaks was um, not a safe place to go. Um, and it was a brand-new mall. But really quickly, um, I mean, a lot of gang activity and things were going on. Um, within the first few years of that mall drive-by shooting stuff like that happened there um but then um but like that's that was the local mall but growing up i go to the ultimate mall which is in north orlando um and then the florida mall which is like that was the nice mall because it's huge big touristy mall and they built millennia which is a really nice mall and like even had like a dress code they enforced for the people who came to the mall but it gave you those, but for like me, like going to Florida Mall, for instance, it, it exposed me to, you know, like there were stores that sold art. Like I didn't have, I didn't go to museums all that much. You know, I lived where I lived. We didn't have that kind of stuff in the neighborhood in Orlando I grew up in. And, um, you know, so it was, it was a cool exposure to a bunch of different things. But yeah, but you're totally right. Like all the stores, like I, as you're talking, I was like, oh yeah, like the popular kids at my school, like the girl shopped at Charlotte Russe, um, American Eagle, Hollister. I remember I went through a phase in my life where I tried to, um, where I tried to be a uh, sort of a prep kid, and I was going to Abercrombie for a little while. Um, oh, and if you were if you were the wannabe like me, this is full disclosure. I was the wannabe. I couldn't afford most of that stuff. So then it was the Gaps and Old Navies mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. you could try you could try to dress like the Abercrombie and Hollister group but it was about half price, especially yep. Old Navy. Oh, yeah. Um, Gap, I think, still falls a little more into the the other one. Old Navy was like the discount way to try and go for that look. Well, Gap so, was always, Gap always felt to me more like it was a, it was a preppy. It was more on the mm, Hollister level, I thought. I don't know. I kind of took it more as the, it was more of a Gen X store than a millennial store. I mean, I didn't know those generational divides existed, but like I kind of associated my cousin who's a few years, about five years older than me or so. I always associated her with, she wasn't that much. She's three years older than me. But anyway, I always associated her more with like the gap. With gap. Um, and that my age group was more like um, Good Vibrations, which is like a surf and skate store that was in the malls down in Florida. I don't know how big of a chain it was. There was a place called Gadzooks that mm-hmm. sold a bunch of that kind of stuff too. Like, you know, so you got your Jinko jeans. And, they were, and they, those places were cool because they were like, they had skateboarding love- stuff and surfing stuff. And then they also sold a bunch of like raver stuff. When we when we listen back to this episode, I just realized, and I don't mean to make light of 
you your moment of talking, but I, I just realized how we digressed into a discussion about malls. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, all right. So, uh, so unity through individuality. Yeah, see, gap. I don't like it. Yeah. See what happens. <laughs> see what happens when JP is not here to keep us on task. So, yeah. All right. Yeah, well, thank yeah. you for 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 redirecting because that this that, let's take it to another level, Matt. Let's we're we're we're, we're both we're both we're both. Uh, seminary trained individuals who have a passion uh-huh. for the work of the church. So I feel like there's an obvious evangelism piece that could be discussed here, right? Because how much of it for, I don't know how much it was for you, but for me, right, there was this definite sense of, you know, evangelical Christianity being your culture. That was your click. Mm-hmm. And of course, even within it, there were, you know, sort of Christian goth, Christian skaters and that sort of thing. But that, but there was a sort of sense that that was its own different world apart from the, the yeah. mainstream version of it. And, and even then, your, your allegiances were primarily as a Christian, which in a way is kind of cool, right? Because, I, you know, my, in my experience, you know, as a, as a skater punk kid... Um, I was friends with jocks and others because they, we all went to youth group together. Mm-hmm. And so the youth group fostered this really kind of breaking down of the cliques because our Christianity was the thing that was more important than the other bits. Yeah. And, but I'm, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying and having this like vision of my whole life now, as you're talking in a different way, I do think like, youth group accomplished this small tiny step toward what we're talking about mm-hmm. youth group was a place where if you went to high school the cool kids and the 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 nerds didn't have anything to do to do with each other but if you went to youth group they were hanging out and playing the same games yeah. and joking around when you went back to school they'd probably pretend they don't know each other but um but you in youth group you were it was different you were a different you were a different status in youth group, different level of um, acceptance. However, what I'm realizing now is my memory of youth group and my memory of church and my memory of being in that world, as I'm looking at it in light of this discussion, was exactly the same as the 90s mentality I'm talking about right now. Um, Yeah. Church took it and said... We are going to have unity through individuality, and our individuality is found in our salvation through Christ. And how quickly did that become yet another click that was easily, very easily recognizable by their music, their style of clothing, their places that they congregated. Like, the 90s to me is kind of like the pinnacle. 90s, early 2000s, but 90s end Mm -hmm. of the 90s especially, is kind of like the pinnacle of the contemporary Christian culture. Mm -hmm. The I have become my own form of a goth nerd jock. Now it's goth nerd jock contemporary Christian. We have our clothing, we have our music, we have our style, we have our way of talking, and we become our own clique. Right. Right. And that's and that was the, and that's the, that's the question that I'm getting at in terms of like the evangelism piece is to what extent was was you know cuz the idea of evangelism is to break through those barriers, right? Mm-hmm. To bring the gospel of Jesus to different groups of people and and all of that. But like, okay, take it to a, a kind of a, to me a parallel idea. I was in Thailand um just after college and um 
another thing I know I've shared with you before. Um, but when I was in Thailand, one of the things I was really struck by was we were with Baptists in Thailand. I was still new to the Episcopal Church. Um, so I was kind of coming to this with a bit of a now outsider, you know, new, interesting, new perspective. But so we went to this church in Thailand and this village, this Thai village on the border of Laos. And what really struck me about it was that church on Sunday was really not all that different than a church service that I had been to at like Christ Fellowship or or any other kind of more contemporary leaning Baptist church. Um, the only difference was that everything was in the Thai language, but the music, it was guitar, bass, and drum. I mean, to the extent that they invited Keelan and I to play with the praise band one morning and we could do that relatively easily um, because, you know, they were singing Shout to the Lord. They were singing like all those songs from that time frame, but just, right. just, in, the Thai, just in Thai rather than in English. And I remember having this feeling because around that same time, I was learning that a lot of the Buddhists in the area um, were very, you know, aggressive toward the Christians. And I wondered how much of that was due to not the message of the gospel, but to the cultural baggage that was coming with it. And why did it have to be that to make people Christian, they had to become Western? Um, And and I know that's a bigger, more insidious type thing that we've been dealing with in the terms of missions and work in the church. And I know we talked about this in our short-term mission episode um, a couple years back, but I, but I do wonder how much of that was similar was going on in America too, right? Like, you know, this same thing, like you said, the, 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 the Christian identity became its own kind of clique. And so, you know, the idea was, okay, if you're a goth Christian, well, you're a goth Christian until you finally fully commit. And then, you know, you're going to wear your Christian t-shirt and you're going to, you know, kind of fully, fully embrace this, this world that, you know, Relevant Magazine helpfully gave it the term, the Christian ghetto, which I think is a really fascinating term. The idea that we could retreat into our own comfortable enclave. It's probably, probably the last fascinating thing Relevant Magazine ever said. (laughs) Yeah, that was their first issue. Their first issue was great. Um, And then, then they put out a second. Um, (laughs) The sequel is never as good, man. Yeah, it's never as good. But anyway, yeah. So I think like so that's that's kind of you know the talk. I mean, do you, do you, I mean, am I am I hitting what you're getting at, Matt? This idea that it wasn't that we're that it that it started becoming its own kind of monoculture and that it actually yeah, it, it, it failed in its approach and that so what should we do then? Like what what's the yeah. what's the better way of doing this? Yeah, and I mean, and I mean, let's let's be honest too. Um, the the thing that we kind of always rip on about the the western christian culture today is um is it still is is that it's always been kind of like a a poorly done clone of the culture that's around it to begin with like Mm -hmm. we the the church in america um, tends to take the trends the style the look of the world around it and turn that into its attempt at being different by we're going to be different by taking everything you stand for and making it ours and saying, see, isn't this cool? And then try and, and get you to believe. Yeah. But I think that, but I think where hearing what you're saying and talking about this, the idea of like evangelism, what is the role? I think that the problem becomes, and I'm going to try and say this in a way that makes sense, but at the same time realize that everything I say is going to sound annoyingly like cliche at this point. 
because that's the, it's the truth. Like the truth is, if you keep saying the same thing long enough, right. it becomes a cliche. And if it's true, it's still true. It's just a cliche. Um, but the problem occurs when the church loses the concept of evangelism and turns it into the idea of conversion and not in the sense of like scripture talking about converting people, but like conversion, like conformity. Mm -hmm. Um, The church tends to always become a kind of like what I was saying about the nineties. It becomes this idea of come here. We will accept you just as you are, as long as you become like us. Right. Um, and it's always been the downfall of the church is people don't want to be a part of something that's just looking to convert, just looking to conform. Um, they don't want to come in because you're you're only you're only showing me acts of love because you want me to accept what you believe and become just like you. Otherwise, you wouldn't give me the time of day. Right. Um, well, and I, I I also think there's an element too where I mean this is one of the reasons why I why I think I'm I'm a high church person, um, and I use that term to refer to the fact that you know I, I embrace you know, the liturgies and vestiture and all that of, mm-hmm. of what we might consider more traditional type of Christianity, but I, I I am that because it embraces the fact that it's weird in its own weirdness and the sense that that it's not trying to be anything other than like it, it's really interested in saying like this is what Christians this is some variation of what Christians have been doing for centuries and so this right. is definably discernibly Christian so let's embrace that rather than try to create a Christian version of, what version people of what's are, out there yeah because like here's the deal Starbucks is Starbucks we can try to replicate Starbucks and give it a Jesus gloss but you know what Starbucks is always going to do a better job of being Starbucks than we are. And the but thing we, is, is people already have Starbucks. They're not looking we'll for create, something other than Starbucks. Yeah, but, but we can create the Restore Cafe and make it a chain. <laughs> yeah. That is, that is the, the chain, for those of you listening, that is the chain of cafes that Christ Fellowship, it's there. It's their Starbucks. Yeah. Which... Um, and, and it's not... I, I mean, don't want. I actually like going. You guys know this. I actually like going to the Christ Fellowship that we go to. Yeah. I think that there's some incredibly positive, amazing things I've seen done there. I also think there's still certain times where something happens and I kind of cringe because it's very much that that like mega church mentality of we're going to be the cool kids on the block. That's very much there. I see it. It makes me cringe at times, but I've also seen what they're doing, and I've loved that part of it. So anyway, I say all that to say, if anybody is listening and sees me at Christ Fellowship, I'm like, I heard you talk about us. Yeah, you did. I love Christ Fellowship, but let's be honest, it's still human. It's still a giant organization, and there's still things about it that make you go, eh, when they do it. I mean, That's I'm all a, I'm saying. I'm Episcopalian, and I'll do the exact same thing and, to my de- denomination. I yeah. And, well, and I... um. And I think like too, like something like a restore, like there's nothing inherently wrong with that, right? If you're, if you're doing it because like, I know one of the things that Christ Fellowship does with that is they have, you know, they have ministries in places like the Glades and other places mm-hmm. where like the, 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 the proceeds from their coffee goes out to that kind of work, which is, mm-hmm. you know, helping hungry kids get food and clean water and all that kind of stuff. Like that's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, right. Star, Starbucks could actually learn a thing or two from that approach, I think. Right. But but when it's being but but 
but I've seen churches that have used the coffee shop model as a sort of replacement for tradition for a traditional church model like we're going to basically do the coffee shop and we're going to have bible studies in the coffee shop and maybe even do some praise and worship songs on a sunday morning and that's going to be your replacement for church because we think oh well people are going to the coffee shops they're actually not going to church well but the thing is is that i don't know i just feel like you're repeating an idea like people people you know people aren't going to starbucks because they're looking for salvation in starbucks they're going to starbucks because they're looking for a decent cup of coffee that they can get in a consistent manner all across the board right i mean like People aren't hanging yeah. out in Starbucks, you know, buying their buying their you know nitro cold brew, um, wondering you know how that's going to affect their eternal destiny. Like that's just not what Starbucks is for. And so, it's it's attempting it's attempting now to just sort of replicate something that you know people are already doing that they don't need yeah. you know. So like if you're offering an alternative where the the you know you're leveraging the profits to help other things, and that's a different conversation. But if you're trying to sort of replicate what Starbucks is doing for the sake of, you know, sort of, I don't know, bait and switching people into tripping and finding Jesus. Like, I just don't know that that's, you know, like, I don't know. It just makes me think of a lot of times, a lot of the evangelism that I did growing up, which was door to door, nine times out of 10 are, you know, I met Christians, other Christians. Those are the people who actually mm-hmm. answered the door because they kind of knew what we were doing. Those are the people who had engaged with us with other Christians. And they were just there to be like, oh, cool. You're at this church. Like, good job. We're encouraging you. Glad you're doing this, you know, move on. Um, you know, it creates, it just creates that kind of, that kind of echo chamber stuff, which we, we see happening on the internet and other places. And so I guess like, you know, my, my thing is, is in thinking about evangelism is how do we, how do we get this, you know, completely life-changing a transformative message out to people yeah, who are, who are, who are looking for it, but they don't know where to look for it. And they might be intimidated mm-hmm. by church. And so they might, you know, because you know, we've, we've got our stigmas going on in church and then how do we do that in a way too that embraces a culture like you know going like the idea of like thailand right like how do you do it faithfully so that it looks distinctively thai but is also still consistently christian well that that um i mean first of all this is just a momentary side thought but first of all we talked before about the concept of evangelism as almost like a if i can logically trip trick you into realizing that christ is the way then you'll be saved yeah that's always bothered me about that yeah but um anyways like if i could give you a riddle that you can't solve and all of a sudden you go oh that's why then that's true salvation (laughs) um but but i think all right i'm gonna try and get to your question evangelism what it should it look like in light of this like except allowing a culture to be be itself but still have the distinctively like here's the truth aspect to it um as far as the christian faith goes and but let me start by saying what what we also on a self-awareness level in a moment of honesty self-reflection um, what I also need to draw attention to is the obvious fact that even the discussion that we're having now has in a way become its own its own click version of like a ni- the 90s how to change things. Um, the, I would say like the hipster movement came out of this concept of the individuality, the unity through individuality didn't work. So now let's just focus on the individuality as we try to achieve unity, like they tried to shift it and the hipster movement kind of became, we're all yeah. going to be ourselves, but we're going to accept 
Yeah, they used irony. They used irony yeah. as a way to do that, right? It they, was a, a weapon of acceptance by... It's like, okay, so we couldn't accept everything and be okay with it. So let's accept nothing and that will unify us is what the what I would say that culture came from, came out of. Right. Because it was kind of like the flip form of um, the, the dirty word growing up in the 90s. The, the most filthy thing you could possibly allow to come out of your mouth is the word tolerance. Um, and it was the idea that anything you believe is okay if you believe it, that's fine. I believe what I believe. You believe what you believe. And I don't believe that's what the world was attempting to express, but that's what the church was saying. And right. You're so saying the church was, was saying that tolerance, tolerance was a dirty word. Right. Yeah, totally. So the, yeah, tolerance, yeah. so the tolerance movement, even the people in it, became focused so much on that's what it is that the people in it were kind of like no so they shifted the movement completely so the hipster to me the hipster movement came out of this idea of all right if they have a problem with us saying whatever you believe is okay as long as you believe it then that's fine they got a problem with that then our unifying statement will be everything everybody says is wrong and stupid and we will ironically point out to the world that Everything we believe, everything we enjoy, everything we find funny, everything we find beautiful, it's all wrong upside down. And the irony movement became pointing out my, I find joy and beauty in realizing that you think that this ugly thing is acceptable and beautiful. So I'll pretend to accept it, but in doing so, allow you to make fun of mine. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah it allows like they, it, it they, allows some distance, right? Yeah, it, it, the, allows, it allows it to be, you know, like, um, it allows you to like things that you otherwise, you know, you probably really do like, but you can't admit that you like. But you because, don't want to admit that you like it. So you say, for example, um, what's the boy band boy bandy was it plus one or something the group that was big a few years ago uh, you mean one direction one direction there you go one direction plus one i think was a christian boy band anyway one direction for example i saw some movie where the daughter picks up her phone to answer it and the mom is like oh you got one direction phone case too isn't that cool i love them and she's like yeah i use it ironically yeah like she's wanting to say one Direction is this horribly stupid music, but you still want to wear their stuff and listen to it. Right. So you say that you do it ironically. But I but I find that the to me that whole ironic movement was the response to people saying that tolerism wasn't okay. So the response to if it's not okay to say that everything is okay, then instead we'll say nothing is okay, so that's okay. Yeah, and that's what the ironic movement became. Yeah, and that kind of idea of of like you do you, right? Kind of came out of that. Like so, you do you, rather so, than which is which is the inverse. It, this is actually pretty brilliant. Now that I'm thinking about it because like you know in the '90s it was all about like you know I'm going to be me I'll, and you're going to have me. to learn to you're going to yeah I'll do me and you're going to just have to accept you're either going to take me or leave me. But now it's no you do you like it's like weird like I'm going to try to encourage you to do you, but at the same time like. You be you and that, you know, even when you say it, like you can see the gesture if you're watching this, you know, the gesture is that kind of like you do you, right? It's actually so you're, you're pushing them away a little bit. Mm -hmm. like you, mm -hmm. you, you stay over there and do your thing. Like put up with it. Yeah. But and be that, true to and you while, yeah, it's very, that's, that's interesting. And 
And I say that to say we're doing that in the church. Yeah. Once again, once again, the church in the 90s became about, all right, we are going to do us and we are going to accept, you know, these different styles of music and clothing, but we're going to make it Christian. And we became our own clique that fit into the 90s world perfectly. Now the church is responding by going, no, you know what, culture, you do you. And we're going, let the culture be the culture, let the culture do what they want, let the culture do this, but we're not focused at all on the, but I have to be me, and how do, how do we become us? Well, and that's, is that's a, a, is a question that, oh, this that is... we always leave out. So there's I do me, there's you do you, but, but where's we? Right. How, where's us? How do we figure that out? Well, and I think this is the thing that I've been experiencing in the Episcopal Church that's frustrated me a lot, is that we've been really good since the 90s in defining ourselves by what we're not, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, we're not like the Catholics or we're not like the Baptists or we're not like these people, but we haven't done a very good job until recent years. Cause I think, our, what are you? Yeah. Our presiding <laughs> bishop has been really big on trying to get us to sort of think like, okay, great. We've figured out what we're not now. What, what are we? So here's, so here's, here's one that's just very interesting. All right. So last summer, um, we were, the Episcopal Church gathered for the general convention, which is every three years we get together as the entire Episcopal Church and we have like a bunch of discussions and make decisions on a bunch of things. Um, it, back in 2015, we had made a vote to amend our canons on marriage in order to, in order to, um, basically say that we, we feel that same sex marriages are consistent with our understanding of the biblical and Christian traditional understanding of marriage. And so obviously that, you know, led to a few, led to some, some tension. Um, but then three years later, so that was a, that was our, we took one vote. And then the idea is that two conventions, we have to vote on it twice in order for it to make, to be an official change. And so this last convention last summer, we took that second vote and I was there when the bishops took that vote. And after that, there's a guy by the name of um, Bishop Love. He is the uh, Bishop of Albany in um, um, northern New York, upstate New York. And it is maybe the most, um, I don't like the label, but it's the label that's used. It's probably the most conservative diocese in the Episcopal Church. Um, so the vote, part of the vote that was taken was that they, they passed a resolution that would allow for same-sex people to get married to be able to get married in any Episcopal parish, regardless of the bishop's feelings on the matter. Um, you, because you know, the idea is that the marriage canon applies to everyone, not just to dioceses. And so even like Central Florida, which is based in Orlando, it's a pretty conservative diocese. They even, they accepted this idea of this conditional deal that if they have some parishes where there are gay folks in the church want to get married and the priest is okay with doing that, then they would allow them to, to get married in their churches. But the Bishop of Albany, uh, he was really against it and still is against it, this change. But one of the things, and I mentioned all of that just to mention that there was this interview of him with him that I read where he says that, that, that um, priests had been, that, that it takes away, this, that, that making the canons this way prevents the priests from being able to sort of default to the bishop or to the rule. In other words, it allowed he was he was sad that that now priests in a church like say I'm a priest, which I'm not, but say that I'm a priest that is that is not open to same sex marriage and I and a gay couple comes and says we want to get married in your parish. Well, you know, it used to be that I could say, oh, well, I'm sorry. Well, my bishop doesn't let me do that. Right. End of discussion. Um, 
But now, now it turns into a situation where I have to then explain to this couple why I don't do that. Right. Instead of just saying, oh, the bishop doesn't let me. Now I have to have if I if I if I still say that I'm not going to do it, I have to now explain it. And Bishop Love was saying that it's unfortunate that that the priests are being put in that position. And I thought, are you kidding me? That you're you're not ex- that you're gonna you're gonna make a statement and a stance on this, but you're not gonna expect people to have to be able to articulate and defend it. Yeah. Instead, you would rather them just sort of be able to be like, oh no, them's the rules. Like yeah, no, it's, no, no and you, that's and that's the problem. You want to deflect it, right? And that to yeah, me is kind of what that you do you kind of approach can foster. And I think it always does, but it does. It seems like it can foster this idea of of saying you know like oh well that's your thing, not mine. Right. And I don't really have to explain myself any further than that, you know, and no, like if you're going to make a stand, be able to articulate it, be able to say, you know, like I oppose this on these grounds. Right. Because to me, it, it suggests that you realize that, you know, the the conversation and the and the, and the focus is starting to change on this topic, at least, which is a, another conversation for another time. But I you know, but I but again, I think that this is indicative of what's happening in our culture is that. Yeah, there is this idea that we can keep each other at some degree of distance, whether it's irony or whatever, um, rather than having to really kind of articulate, you know, like, you know, there was an episode we did um, last year or whatever it was when we talked about the hype priests, right? You know, these people in Brooklyn mm-hmm. and other places. And I think about them because, they, you know, they're the, they're the ones that, you know, they're, they're, they want the trendy, cool New Yorkers to come to their church. So that means they have to be quiet about their attitudes on same-sex marriage. But a lot of these pastors, when pressed, are not going to do a same-sex marriage. But they don't make it a thing. They're just sort of like, they're just sort of like, well, you know, you again, you do you. Like, you just come into the church and you do your thing. Just don't be too noisy about whatever it is you do. And it just, it bugs me because, again, it doesn't require any kind of... Well, that's the... Like, articulation. Yeah, that's the that's the key piece that's missing in all of these and is the i think answer to your um to your question about like evangelism in the church and first of all let's just point out guys that this is why you should listen to country music because yes apparently that's how this whole conversation (laughs) started but um but no i believe and i don't think that i think that there this is the quote-unquote answer but there is no answer let me put it that way because I don't think it'll ever be achieved. I think that this is the the ongoing question of uh, humanity as a whole and something that we will be working on until the end of everything. Um, and that is how do we how do we become one unified group? This is what you know this is what things are these stories are written about Star Trek and stuff dreams about. Um, I believe that it's the ongoing con- the ongoing question of humanity is unity. How do we become unified um, between male, female, um, between all of ourselves, our different cultures, our different um, ethnicities? How do we become unified? I believe that the simple answer is this, and I say that saying this is not the answer because... This is just the statement, the stupid work. We had the I do me, we had the you do you. What we don't have and what will be the ongoing question is the how do we do us? Right. Because if I just do me, look, man, 
I'm going to be me, deal with it. It's another way of saying I still don't accept you. I'm going to be me. And if I say, hey, you do you, it's still a way of going, but I don't accept you because I'm going to be me. So you go do you, but I'm going to be me. Um, Whereas what would bring world peace and unity is if we all said, hey, how do we do us? Let's talk about what makes me me, what makes you you, and how do we form a we? How do we find what are the areas I need to let go and change? Because if I do I do me, you do you. If I this area of my life doesn't change, then I'll never accept you fully. So I'll change that area. And that person going, okay, well, here's the part of my life that if I don't, if I don't change this aspect of me, I can't fully accept the people outside. So I'll change that. Does that make sense? Like yeah. the, the I do me, you do you. But then you, because people want to be like, look, man, don't let anybody change you. Just be yourself. Stay true to who you are. Well, yes and no. If you were the only person on the face of the earth, being 100% you would be great. But the truth is that's not how relationships and the world works. I do wake up every morning in bed next to a woman who I decided to marry who is not me. And every morning there is something I find out throughout the day that I'm going to have to change about myself because there's another person in this world that I care about, that I'm committed to, that their well-being is over mine, in my opinion. So I'm going to change things. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to jump out of bed jump in the car and go do whatever the hell I want to do for the day. I'm going to tell this person, here's what I'm thinking about doing. Can I do this? Do we have time for this? Does this work? This is how life and relationships work. Right. I do me, you do you is not a relationship. It's two individuals dwelling in the same area. Right. Um, a relationship is us. We. It's compromise. It's commitment. It's change. It's growth. And if you're not changing, if you're just being you and you're not changing, then you're not growing at all either. And if you're not growing, then you're dying. It's right. just how it's just how it works. It's a life cycle. It's what it is. So we had the I do me. We had the you do you. The question that we will be spending eternity trying to figure out is how do we do us? Yeah. Um, and that's. So next week, politics and why those. <laughs> um, but anyway, no, I think this is a good place to stop. And I and I and I think too that nah, you're you're right, you're right, and that becomes the real the real conversation. And I think in terms of of evangelism, it becomes that task of you know one we believe in the saving power of Jesus, but that 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 has real world ramifications that I think leads to the means of being able to talk about how we can be we because mm-hmm. it. You know, as even Jesus himself says, you know, he's going to, you know, I'll show you a better way because obviously the other ways aren't working. And, and that's the also, and not to get us going for another hour. So I know we need to end it because I've got to be somewhere anyway. But I also believe that's the the power of that, the scripture about binding and loosing as a church um, is, is there is a lot of room in the Christian faith and there should be a lot of room for compromise and change with the culture around us without compromising and changing what we believe. Right. Um, and that's, and that comes down to the rules that people don't want to let go of. Mm -hmm. Um, there's things that culture will 
culture will and man whew, i'm gonna get in trouble if certain people listen to this but there's things that culture will do and start to accept that back in the day would have been labeled 100 clearly a sin we can point to a verse mm-hmm. and say it's a sin right here but the reason it was considered sin back then the cultural ramifications of what it meant what it was causing the division it brought is not what it is today and therefore the church will go you know what we don't we don't any longer see that as a sin like if you want to if you want to live and dress that way and look that way and say those things i don't believe there's any reason for us to say that that's a sin um so there's things that the church can mm-hmm. it can grow it can accept it can compromise it can say you know what the world actually now this they got a point here and we messed up so yes but never changing what we believe, never changing our core of who God is, who Christ is, the sacrifice he made, what it means to, to have sin in your life and need that price to be paid in the first place. That we never change. Right. We don't need to compromise any of that. But we can change things like, you know, the way you trim your beard is acceptable or not. And, and the, basically what it comes down to is our belief, our doctrinal deep doctrine belief should never change our laws those are up for those are up for discussion yep like the the law was not meant to to be the answer the law was meant to set the israelites apart make them stand out in the world show people that there's a new way to live but then the law became that's that's not the point anymore that was just to point out that there was a difference now we have the answer in salvation the law is now up for discussion it's not it's not written it's not no pun intended it's not written in stone um so yes yeah for for us christians it is it is a it is a different take and understanding on that stuff so um well thank you matt we all i know you have to go pick up your filter yeah i've been parked outside the pet store for an hour nice um well, I had to at one point move and find shade because I was literally starting to cook. Nice. Well, not so. nice, but um, <laughs> glad you found some shade. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, with that, um, thank you, thank you, Officer Matt. Uh, thank you, JP. Oh, you're for, welcome. Thank you, JP, for your editing um, this episode because I know that's what you'll be doing, and you're with us in spirit. Uh, thank you, listeners, um, for for listening. Um, we I'm not going to say we're going to be here next week. Uh, because we'd like to be, but you know, we're we're in a we're, we're an figuring that out. Right we're now. figuring that out. We're an interesting state of of our three individual lives, and we are having our conversation yes. about how we do we um, well, as the masters well of divinity. Put. So, um, but in the meantime, like, subscribe, ring the bell. I don't know where all this stuff is. So I'm just going to kind of swirl my hands. Nobody cares. Just and, you all know where it is. Do it, and um, <laughs> you know, give us money and uh, make us famous and buy Matt's book and uh, all of those sorts of things. Give us your prayers, yeah, your you, encouragement. If you give us, if you give us money and make us famous, we promise we will be every week. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that would help the, that would help the we be us thing a whole lot easier. That, that's um, absolutely true. So. <laughs> so, all right, well, Matt, have a good journey into PetSmart. Good journey. Good journey. Actually, Mark's art. <laughs>